0: We turn in God's word then to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. As we reflect upon God's word this morning of someone who truly could have sang that hymn. Not only would it be true this morning of Megan. But true of each one of us as a believer of Jesus Christ. And certainly... We see evidence of that and the biblical truth of that in the passage that we're going to read from Acts chapter 16. We're going to pick it up at verse 6, and then we're going to read through verse 15, but I would invite you to keep your scriptures open, as we'll be referring to uh, later sections of Acts chapter 16 this morning as well. Starting then at verse 6. They went through the region, Pergia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the side, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer once again. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word. And as we study the life of Lydia, we pray that uh, we may see how your spirit worked in her heart and that we may take comfort and blessing from that. And just bless Pastor Bob as he preaches that word to us, that that may be done in spirit and in truth, and that we may be attentive to your word, we pray. ask in Jesus name amen amen three things from this passage uh, easy to to reflect upon them as uh, each one this morning of our main points will begin with the letter c first of all as we consider this woman named Lydia she was condemned she was condemned secondly she was converted thirdly she was committed condemned converted and committed We, for those of you who are guests with us, we're in a series of messages uh, uh, dealing with those biblical characters whose names begin with the letter L. And so uh, knowing that Megan was making profession of faith this morning, I I thought uh, one of the few women in the Bible whose name begins with the letter L would be very applicable this morning. But I think there are certain characteristics about this woman that That kind of fit Megan as well, and I'll try to make some reference to that this morning. This evening, the Lord willing, we'll be back in the book of Psalms, and we'll note again another psalm that God has given to us in his word that we might indeed reflect upon at a baptism. But this morning, it's Lydia, a woman who was condemned, a woman who was converted, and a woman was committed. What do we learn about her? Well, the first time we actually read of her is verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. What do we learn? Well, first of all, she has a name. Her name is Lydia, although some Bible commentators will tell you that may be more of of the way in which in the Greek it could be stated that she could be said a lady from Lydia. Lydia. Lydia is actually a province in which the city of Thyatira is located. So it simply might be, Paul might, they, they might not have known her name at the, at the beginning of this, and so they simply, it's a woman from Lydia, or as we would come to know it, Lydia. However, Having said that, we can also say it it seems from historical records that it's a name that seemed to be pretty popular in that day, that it's not uh, unique, it's not distinct, that there were several uh, that you can find in the historical records who carry that name. The other thing about the name is that it's not Greek. It's not Greek-based, even though Macedonia is in Greece. It's in the Greek Empire. And so it it reminds us that there has been some changes that have gone on in this woman's life, that that there has been movement and change. Actually, the the name actually has a Phoenician more root to it, which would bring it all the way back to the eastern side of the, the Mediterranean. So how often this woman has moved, how much her family moved the scripture doesn't tell us but it is indicating to us there have been significant changes in this woman's life indicated to us as well because of the city she is from Thyatira even though we are in Macedonia and and if you just the reason I read 6 through 10 uh, is not only to highlight the fact that God had a divine plan in mind here which we'll come back to but also the fact that that this move of Paul from having been in Asia Minor to now receiving this Macedonian call to go across the Aegean Sea, to go, as it were for them, to a completely new world. This is a movement from continents. This is the movement from Asia to Europe. And, and Scripture is giving us in 6 through 10 kind of the, the basis. This is big stuff. That it was never even really seemingly on Paul's radar screen that he would think about bringing the gospel to Europe. That, that this was such a separation. This was so unique that God has to come in the form of a special vision with a man saying, Paul, come and help. So if it's a such a big thing for Paul to make this move, think of what this must have been for Lydia. She moves from Thyatira, which is a city in Asia Minor, to Philippi as well. She makes this move not because of some vision comes from the Lord, She obviously made it for other reasons, of which we don't know, but we can perhaps delve into. One of the things we know is is the fact that, that Thyatira, from the book of Revelation, by the time John writes the account in Revelation, Thyatira is depicted to us as a very wicked city. Maybe that might be one of the reasons she has moved. We don't know. But it certainly would be a possibility. So, she had a name. She had moved. The other thing that these verses tell us, verse 14, is that she has a business. She is a businesswoman. She is a seller of purple goods. Now, in order for them in that day and age to come up with purple goods, they had to have dye. It means, the the goods mean more in terms of cloth. That's what it's indicating to us in, in the original. That she's a seller of purple cloth. In order for cloth to become purple, it needs to be dyed. Purple dye is that which you collect from shellfish. Mollusk. It takes about 8,000 of them to get one single gram of this purple dye. Meaning, this is a lot of work. This is not an easy task. But it also means that it's very expensive. This woman is not dealing with trinkets made in Hong Kong and sold at the dollar store. This woman is dealing in a business of pretty high-end stuff. She's the the Saks of Fifth Avenue. She's the Wilshire Boulevard of Beverly Hills. She's dealing with only that which the very wealthy can afford. The wearing of purple at the time and age of the New Testament era is a status symbol. Not everybody wears it because not everybody can afford it because of the time consumption that is needed in order to to produce the color purple. So it was the exclusively wealthy and powerful kind of becomes the color of, for example, that that Roman senators in Rome would attach to their garb to, to show that they were somebody. In society. It's something that Roman emperors would clothe themselves with to show how rich and how powerful they were, which gives us a clue, perhaps, as to why she's in Philippi. Philippi has several advantages for a businesswoman such as Lydia. One, it is a Roman colony. It is the only city in the former Greek empire that has been given this status. The citizens of Philippi are Roman citizens. They are considered not just citizens of the Roman Empire, but they are considered citizens of Rome itself. Plus, there are gold and silver mines in Philippi, which means there is a lot of wealth to go around. Now, if you're a seller of purple, a very expensive cloth, you're probably going to want to establish your business in a place where people have money and in a place that is frequented by lots of dignitaries who want purple cloth. So a wise, astute businesswoman would move her business from Thyatira to Philippi. And that's what we find here. That's what Paul is introducing us to in verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She is hardworking. That reminds me of Megan. I've been on work crews with Megan. I've been on mission trips with Megan. She's a hard worker. Reminds me of that. She also is very intelligent. Now, her sisters may argue with it, but I think Megan is very intelligent. When she's in youth group, we don't hear her much, but when she does speak, it is generally very well worth listening to. I see a lot of similarities between these two. Somebody who, is, who desires and has a, a plan. We heard in Megan's profession before the elders that uh, she kind of has a plan and a career choice too. And it's not an easy choice. It's not an easy life. It's a hard working life that she envisions. I see a lot of similarities that go on in this passage. But you know we're told one other thing. About this woman. She was a worshiper. Of God. She wasn't worshiper. She, she was a Jew. In terms of her religion. She's a practicing Jew. She She worships God. She's in the place of prayer. She's very devout. As far as her worship is concerned. She's very sincere. Words that I think I would. Apply to Megan as well. This morning, in that regard, isn't it interesting then that with all of this, I mean, just think of the picture we have created of this woman that Scripture has given to us in one verse: her name, her move, her courage, her strength. She's got to be a inner. Fortitude of strength to be able to do this. We we learn as the passage goes along, there seems to be no husband, yet there's family involved. She's out there on her own, sounds like. Pretty tough course. And yet she has the inner fortitude and strength to carry this on. She's a businesswoman, very astute in business, very wise, very intelligent. And she's a worshiper of God. And yet we would have to conclude that she is condemned. For she is still without Christ. See, we can have all the accolades we want behind our names. But if we are without Christ, we are still condemned. If there is no Christ, it doesn't matter how big the bank account is. It doesn't matter how successful the business It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter what the score is on the college entrance test. It doesn't matter the grades you have received. If you are without Christ, you are condemned. And that she is. She is a condemned woman. At this point, at verse 14, we would have to say, at the end of that sentence where it says, who was a worshiper of God, period, we would have to say, this woman is on her way to hell. In spite of all these things we have said. Say, well, Pastor Brown, how do you know that? Because Paul preached the word to her. God stopped Paul. From going other places. How many times? We read twice in verses 6 through 10. The spirit kept Paul from here. The spirit kept Paul from here. Why? Because he's directed to Philippi. Why? Because there is a woman named Lydia. Who needs her heart opened. See, look at 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart. See, we might want to say, well, isn't her heart open anyway? She's a worshiper of God. And what the passage is telling you is, no. Even though she is a worshiper of God, she is still condemned. Why? Because her heart isn't open to Christ. It's an amazing thing to stop to think about that the Lord had to open her heart. He'd say, well, here's a woman. She and all the words I've used, she's strong. Yes, but the Lord still needs to open her heart. Strong willed women are not enough to enter the kingdom of God. She can't make the decision on her own. But she's intelligent. She can't make the decision on her own. She's a worshiper of God. She can't make the decision on her own. She hears the gospel. And the only way, the only way for this woman to come to know Christ is for her heart to be opened. See, we can be raised in the best of families. We can have the most wonderful, godly Christian parents. We can have Christian grandparents. We can have Christian friends. We can go on Christian mission trips. We can go to RYS conventions. But unless the Lord opens our heart to the gospel, we are condemned. That's the beauty of this morning, isn't it? Because standing before us this morning was one who professed her faith. Why? Because the Lord open her heart see it reminds us that there is that what what's being highlighted in that verse is Lydia's complete inability to choose Christ see some people think Well, you know, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I read the Bible, I can come to faith in Jesus Christ on my own. No, you can't. That's the point of Lydia's story in the message. Even Lydia, as smart, as strong, as prosperous, as successful, as a worshiper of God that she was, it still took the Lord to open her heart. It doesn't say, and Lydia, on her own, made a decision for the Lord. We can't make a decision for the Lord unless the Lord opens our heart. See, before anything we read of Lydia's faith, before we read anything about Lydia's commitment, is what? The Lord opened her heart. See, it reminds us of that important order. God has a means and a way in which salvation occurs. God is not haphazard. God God is, is, is not just, well, let's see what happens this time. God is an orderly God. If there's one thing we learn about the Lord from the beginning of Genesis to Revelation, and that is that God is a God of order. Not only in the creation, but also in our redemption. Think about how Paul records that for us in the book of Romans, chapter 8. In that what we refer to as that golden chain of Romans, chapter 8. We read the following. In our reformed faith, we, we follow that order with the following. This, this is the order of salvation that we see so beautifully seen here in the life of Lydia. There is election. God chooses us before the foundations of the world. God predestines us. He predetermines that which will be our eternal place. There is the call of the gospel, the outward call, that preaching of the gospel. See, that's why God is stopping Paul from the places where Paul wanted to go. Because God knows there's nobody there that needs to hear this gospel, Paul. You don't need to go to this city. You don't need to go to that city. Their time will come. Right now, Paul, you need to be in Philippi. You need to be on the streets of Philippi. You need to be by the water of Philippi. You need to be by the pre- place of prayer in Philippi. Because there, Paul, you're going to meet a woman by the name of Lydia. That's who I have elected. That's who I have predestined. Preach her the gospel. And Then there is that gospel call. Not just the words that we hear through our ears, but God oh what does he do he opens the heart he opens her heart that inward call that work of the holy spirit that allows us to hear those words as true she heard the gospel she heard christ she heard that christ is the fulfillment Of all the promises that God has made. She heard that Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. She heard the fact that Christ's blood is that which is needed for the forgiveness of sins. She not only heard it, she heard it with her heart. How did she do that? How did she hear it with her heart? God opened her heart. What happens? She is born again. She is regenerated. She is converted. She repents and comes to faith. She turns to Christ. She is justified. She is sanctified. And she was glorified. God is a God of order, and He's he's demonstrating how important this, this item is that I have to open her heart. Here is someone who had the intelligence, the strength, the fortitude, the guts, the wherewithal. If there is ever anybody on the pages of Scripture who we could say, who could argue and say, I can come to faith on my own, it would be Lydia. But she cannot. The Lord has to open her heart. And what happens? What happens when her heart is open? To pay attention to what was said by Paul. To hear the message. To hear the good news. To hear the rest of the story that in her Jewishness leaves her condemned. That in her Jewish religion leaves her without Christ and without hope. Leaves her in need of Christ. She hears it. And she comes to faith. How do we know that? What does the passage tell you? And after she was baptized, she becomes identified with Christ. See, that's what we do with a baptism, right? We say it in our form, even with infants, that that when we baptism, Christ is putting His name upon this child. When we receive baptism, whether as an infant or as an adult, we are Christ. Is putting his name upon us. We are being identified with Christ. She is making her profession of faith. Even as Megan, as a condemned person with all those beautiful attributes that go with Megan, yet she is condemned without an open heart, but God has opened her heart so that she too has stood. Before us this morning, professed her faith in Jesus Christ, been identified with Christ. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But there is also being set apart. See, the water of baptism has a, has another aspect to it. That's one of the things that that we say to parents that that when you're 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 always to raise your children that they have been set apart. Why? Because in the Old Testament, they used to take the water, and sprinkle things with it. What was the point of sprinkling things? It was to set them apart. So Moses sprinkles the various furniture of the tabernacle. He sprinkles the tabernacle. He sprinkles the priest. Why? Because they're set apart. Lydia is not only being identified with Christ in her baptism, but she is being set apart. By Christ as holy. Holy. What an awesome thing that is for this woman who moments before was condemned to hell is now holy in Christ. Thirdly, Lydia is also committed. I want you to note what happens, verse 15. And after she was baptized, and her household as well. That's an interesting statement, doesn't it? One, it asks us; it begs the question: Where's the husband? Some commentators, and I believe rightly, probably have have conclude that this is where Paul makes his statement that if only in Corinthians, that if only one of the parents is a believer, then the children are holy. They too are set apart. Whether she has a husband and he's a pagan, whether she's a widow, we don't know the circumstances. But we do know. Based upon this passage of Scripture, that she is the one who takes the leadership in having her household baptized. Her household, her children, her servants, her workers, everybody who has identified with this woman, everyone she is responsible for. This woman is committed. This isn't just well. I'm going. Christ is okay for me, but you know, you guys, you guys sort it all out and figure it all out yourselves. You guys just kind of go through, and, and maybe you'll come to the same point. No, she's listen. I'm with Christ. I'm responsible for you, so you are now with Christ too. You're going to be identified with him too. It is our American culture. It is that spirit of individualism that, that says in our day and age, well, it's, that may be good for you, but you can do your own thing. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach accountability and responsibility and commitment. That if you are committed to Christ and you are responsible for a family, then that family too is under your direction. And it's not, oh, it's Sunday night, decide what you want to do. You live in my house, you go to church. You eat my food, you come to church. That's the responsibility. That's Lydia. Lydia, my whole family, is going to be identified with Christ. But no, it's not the family also that gets baptized. It's not just the household. Listen to what she said. Verse 15. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Isn't it interesting how this passage begins? We want to go here, the Spirit says no. We want to go here. The Spirit says no. This woman says, come to my house. We go. Amazing text, isn't it? When you put it in that context of what is happening and what is going on and what is taking place. That there there becomes this, this, this open home, this willingness to identify with these four men Three Jews and a Gentile. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Sure, come to my house. I'm not only willing to do this private little thing over here where I was baptized and maybe only a few people know about. I'm willing to publicly let you into my home. You men who have been on the streets of Philippi preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ... You're welcome in my home. And in the culture of that day, that meant acceptance. That wasn't just, yeah, I'll give you a place to stay. That was, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You may stay in my house. But here, my friends, I think is the most remarkable thing about this woman's commitment. I left off reading at verse 15. Do you know what happens in the rest of Acts chapter 16? It all breaks loose in Philippi, right? The the whole thing breaks loose. Everything begins to fall apart. Pauls out there, uh, what does it say? As we were going to the place of prayer, verse 16, we're met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination brought on by her owners. Paul says, this is a woman of Satan, casts the demon out, oh, throws it into an uproar. Now all of a sudden the whole city's in uproar. Paul and the rest are in jail, they're getting beaten. The tide has turned. These men came into the city and it was like we're preaching the gospel, no big deal. Now there is an encounter, an encounter that disrupts this whole thing. The magistrates are are at wit's end. They don't quite know what to do. They have this insurrection going on. That's not going to smell good back in Rome. Maybe they're going to lose their status. We better put an end to this Christian thing, and we better put an end to it quick, because we've got our own citizens complaining against this foreigner. We better not let this foreigner... Oh, they don't know what to do, so they beat him, throw him in jail. You have the conversion of the Philippian jailer. The whole city is shaken with an earthquake. You recall the story now, perhaps. The next day, when they bring Paul out, Paul identifies himself, oh, by the way, did you know I'm a Roman citizen? What have we done? We've just beaten and imprisoned a Roman citizen. That's illegal. Man, if this guy opens his mouth, we're going to have all sorts. The city is in chaos. People can't stand the gospel. Go to verse forty. And they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. There's commitment. See it wasn't only by the riverside she's willing to associate with Christ. It isn't only in her baptism that she and her family and her household are willing to associate with Christ. It is even in the face of persecution. Hence the book, Megan. Even in the face of persecution. Lydia says, I'm willing to be identified with Christ. Think of what that might have meant for her business. I'm willing to identify with Christ. What does that mean for perhaps the only friends that she had who were Jewish in the city? I'm willing To identify with Christ. This woman is a woman of commitment. Megan, that is our prayer for you this morning. We know that you too, like all the rest of us, stood condemned before Almighty God. We know that you too, by your profession, we've heard your profession, we hear the sincerity of your testimony of Christ, That you, like the rest of us as converted members, have indeed received God's grace. God's opened your heart, He's opened our heart. Our prayer is for ourselves, for you, is that we live a committed life. So that when the prisoner who's just been beaten knocks at your door, you say, I'm willing to identify with Christ one final word in passing turn to the book of philippians if you would please philippians chapter 1 these are paul's words to this church these are paul's words to a member of that church in Philippi, Philippi, a woman by the name of Lydia. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel. What beautiful words written does God breathe them out? And does God breathe them to us? That's Lydia. a condemned, converted, committed partner in the gospel. May that be our prayer for one another. May that be our prayer for you, Megan. Because we're confident in this, that the one who called you is the one who will complete it. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Powerful word. That you breathe out to us this morning. We pray that your word Father, might fall upon our hearts, might fall upon our minds, might fall upon our souls. That, Father, You might open our hearts to receive Your breath of life. And that we may leave this place breathing out the breath of Christ to this world. In Christ's name, and for His glory, God's people say, Amen.